My Mac Podcast 281, Owen Rubin and the Apple Newton. You're listening to the My Mac Podcast with your hosts, David Cohen and Guy Searle. And hello, everybody. Um, I'm David Cohen. I'm your host of the MyMac.com podcast. Um, because of the scheduling that we had last week with flying back and forth from, from Macworld, um, we've decided to kind of mix up when, we, when we're recording the show this week. And uh, Guy Searl is not available um, this week, but he'll be back next week uh, with his usual brand of uh, insanity. Um, but uh, joining me in uh, filling filling his shoes uh, for uh, as a co-host this week is Owen Rubin, who was with us at MacWorld last week. How are you doing, Owen? Hi, how are you doing? Uh, filling his shoes. I, you know, I have big feet. I don't know if I can fill his shoes. Yeah, he's, he's a, a big guy. He is a big guy. And I'm uh, sure, <laughs> in fact, I, I happen to see he does have very big feet. Um, but uh, you might you might have to shuffle in around in his shoes if you're filling them. Yeah. If yeah. you hear me clopping around, it's because it's, uh, the shoes don't quite fit. So. Absolutely, yeah. So you were with us for a couple of days at Macworld last week. How do you think it went? I, I thought Macworld was pretty amazing. Uh, I, as I wrote on the website, uh, I was really expecting Macworld to just be a downer show with all the doom and gloom going into it about, oh, Apple's not going to be there and this is going to be the last Macworld show and it'll never be the same without Apple. I actually found Apple not being there to be a plus. Now, that may sound strange to some people, but... App, Macworlds in the past have always been, you know, the Steve and Apple show, and it's always about what new shiny toy he's going to entice us with at the show, and that always seems to take the focus. And this year there was no focus for Apple. In fact, I was actually pleased that the iPad didn't make a huge showing at yeah. the show because it allowed all these vendors to sort of move into that space that Apple had been sort of pushing them out of, and mm-hmm. the energy on the floor and the products that were there and. The way people were responding, I thought, was incredibly positive. It was a great show. It it felt, in some ways, it did feel more mature to me because of, you didn't get all of that insanity around Apple and whatever Apple were announcing, um, and consequently, with that extra focus on on what the vendors were doing, it just felt like the whole thing was being approached a bit more um, level headedly than than perhaps it might have been had had Apple been doing you know announcing some crazy new product as part of the show. Well, if Apple had been there, they would have obviously been introducing the iPad. And I think everybody would have been ooing and eyeing. I suspect that it would have been suspended in a glass case like the iPhone was yeah. when they introduced it, where everybody could stare at it and ooh and ah. But that would have been the focus. And it, in my opinion, it's too early. I mean, it's not there yet. There's nothing yeah. about it. I mean, yes, I've downloaded the development environment. And yes, I've played with it, you know, the development environment. I don't know if you've, have you've tried that. They don't show a picture of the pad on the screen in the simulator. Right. They just up the resolution of the iPhone image to, uh, see. Like, to have show the pad content. So it's kind of disappointing that even the development environment isn't really an iPad yet. Yeah, yeah, but I suppose that gives them flexibility if they do want to make last minute changes. Oh, and um, they will to uh, <laughs> to to the thing. I I agree with you. I think what was nice was being able to talk to. Uh, vendors about their plans for the ipad and they kind of knew everything that everybody else knew about it there was no mad scramble 
to get the details of the information and digest and absorb it. Everybody had already had a chance to do that. So when you were talking to a, a software developer who said, well, I'm planning to put my application onto the iPad, what particularly struck me was um, the Omni Group, who um, anybody who's listened to our last show will have heard me talking to Brian at the Omni Group <coughs> there. And they've suspended all of their Mac development so they can focus on the iPad. Oh, and, they have. I didn't yeah, realize that. They, basically, they want to make sure that they've got a full suite of applications for the iPad. As, wow, close as, as close as they can to launch. Now, there's no way, had had I been talking to them on the day the iPad had been announced, that they would have been able to, to give me that sort of information. So actually, in terms of what they can tell the customer and then what we as the press can tell the listeners, um, you're getting much more a much higher quality. And I, really, for me, I think that's what struck me about Macworld this year is the signal-to-noise ratio, if you like, of um, kind of the background inane stuff as opposed to the stuff you were really interested in was much higher than I'd seen before. And more real. I mean, there was, the, the downside of the world show to me is there wasn't a whole lot of new things to look at. Um, a few things snuck in. HP, HP actually surprised me with a, a $99 all-in-one printer, so fax, copier, um, printer, scanner, in their all-in-one format for 99 bucks, or I think $129 if you put wireless into it. And that was kind of like cool. But I didn't see a lot of other really, really cool things that were new. I think maybe the other thing that was most impressive to me was the gloves you could wear to use your iPhone. Yeah, there was, there was three or four vendors who were selling different types of those, but actually um, the, there was two particular ones that, that kind of caught my eye. There's the, there was the one who was doing the, the high-end leather ones, they were like hundred dollar okay, gloves, yeah, but they they still had the contact points in in the uh, in the end of the fingers, and those obviously were were interesting because that was going for a different kind of quality market. Uh, sure. And then and then there was there was another set where where they were just they just looked like plain knitted woolen gloves, but they kind of had the con- conductive stuff sewn into the tips, and they were they were just really good. And I hope I hope to get hold of a copy of a uh, set of those for a review. Um, well, f- where you live, it's important, right? Well, <laughs> this old. this is the thing. I mean, it's a da- I've got to be in today. I was walking, um, I was walking through the town centre from where I was working uh, back to my car. It's about a ten minute walk, and it was absolutely freezing. It was really biting wind, and uh, I did not want to have to get my iPhone out of my pocket to to do anything really at all. So um, something like that particularly would be good. So uh, I tried them on. They yeah. were wool gloves. And sewn into the thumb and the next two fingers, what was that, the index finger and the middle finger, were, were conductive threads. And you didn't feel them in the glove. No. I was expecting that maybe you'd feel them when you put the glove on. That's right. You, feel, you, thought, you thought you'd feel like something hard in the tips, but, hard, but it wasn't like it that wasn't. at all. Yeah. And then I played with my iPod and it worked, it worked flawlessly. It was yeah. really amazing how well it did work. Yeah. So I uh, have a pogo stick. Do you know what – I think it's pogo. Is that the name of uh, it? Is that, the, is that kind of the conductive stylus? Yeah, and I've used yeah. that when I've worn gloves because it's the only way you can sort of touch it. But I always lose the thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it disappears, and I find it three weeks later in a coat pocket. Which somewhere. was that? Oh, that's that was great. actually the use case that Steve Jobs made when he announced the iPhone, wasn't it? That um, the good thing about your finger is it's a style you can't ever lose because it's a can't ever lose. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Although, it, but if you can't wear gloves, and so for me in California, not such a big deal because yeah. I need gloves three times a year, maybe. But um, the last time I was in in the UK and like time I was in London, I was wearing gloves and a scarf and everything else. And I yeah. would take my iPod touch out, which had my maps on it. And I'd have to take my gloves off to play with it. And, uh, I have so. to say it, over, over here, not, not just the gloves, but also somebody needs to solve the rain problem for the iPhone as well. 
because it rains a lot here and even if you've got gloves on you don't really want to take your ipod out in the rain because if you get water in the ports then that, uh. that's the end of your warranty so uh, that's something i'm very very conscious of it's quite, quite that's why i'm i was quite glad i was managed to get hold of a mophie um juice pack case because that does cover the uh docking port the bottom completely okay. so so it's just the audio port I'm worried about. This now. Otterbox, I've, I didn't. They were. I didn't see them there this year. Yeah, they, they weren't. They weren't soon. there. But actually, um, actually, I, I was given uh, Sam Levin organised getting me a case, and I gave an Otterbox away at the um, at the live podcast we did. That's right. So, That's right. Um, but does it completely? I mean, I had. I did a review of Otterbox on my on my trio yeah. some year a year back, and I mean, it. This thing you could you know you could. Uh, you could walk in the rain. You could drop it in the sand. You could you could kick this thing and run over it with your car, and it probably wouldn't damage it. Absolutely, um, it made it a little big, but it was well protected. So I don't know if that's something you looked at for trying in the rain or not. Yeah, that I mean, that, that's the thing though. Is it is it? It does add quite. <laughs> it really really diminishes the svelte svelte look of the iPhone because it is like putting it in a uh, in a padded case. <laughs> so uh, they are they are fairly chunky. The other product I really like a company called. I think it's Tetrax, T-E-T-R-A-X, yep. had this little X-shaped item with a very good magnet on the back and these little screw-in pieces you could screw onto the vent in your car. Mm-hmm. And then you could just take your iPhone and go clunk and stick it on the vent. Yeah. And it would hold there. And it was very small and, and very compact. And I like that idea too because right now I listen to music when I'm driving in my Prius, but or I think you guys call it a Prius. Um, I only know that because of, of Top Gear. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I call it a Prius. I don't think that the, the guys, oh, yeah. the guys that if you if you know the guys on Top Gear, they're not really into the hybrid scene. So <laughs> <laughs> they beat it up every time. Yeah, they talk absolutely. About it. Yeah, um, but uh, it sits in the console in the center, so I don't see what's playing. And sometimes yeah. I, I need to get at it. Now I have this little remote control, but it doesn't always work. But this lets you just stick it right on the dash where you can yeah. see it. So for things like Navigon or TomTom Navigators, or getting at your music. And I think um, Tim was showing off a little application that lets real easy access to navigation. I kind of liked it being up there where the radio is to get real access to it. And that was kind of a cool little gadget. Yeah, and and better than a windscreen mount, which uh, obviously leaves marks on on the glass that lets uh, all the thieves (laughs) know that you you might have high-value equipment in the car. Oh, yeah, there's something attached to the window. And then one other thing I want to mention, there was a company called four thumbs that was the number four thumbs i don't know Mm -hmm. if you saw this they were hidden in the back corner they make an overlay that's for both uh portrait mode and landscape mode that sits over the screen and adds a little guides to the keyboard right so when i first saw it i thought there were bumps where the keys are but they're actually bumps between the keys so -hmm. when you put your finger down it, it it guides your finger to the key and I must admit, after playing with it for about 10 minutes, I took it one and I was playing with it for a while, you really do type a lot faster. And he believes that once you use it for about four or five months, you can actually take it off and keep your speed. Right. Very cool. Yeah. It was a very cool little gadget. Um, uh, yeah. And I think, I, and I also saw that case you were talking about from Mophie. Did you get the, one of the metal ones? Did you get one? No, I, I've got one of the, the plastic. Uh, it's, it's a striking shade of purple, which has gone down very, <laughs> very well at home because it looks completely different to my wife's iPhone. So now we don't <laughs> mix the two. They showed a metal, anodized metal case this yeah. year, right? You can see it on, again, on the write up I did. That was beautiful. That was yeah. a gorgeous case. Uh, yeah. I did jokingly named the show the iphone case show because uh, well, i think that's most of what there was this thing shouldn't be macro this should be apple world 
Well, I mean, that is, that's, I suppose that is a problem. Macworld's a brand, but in, but in fact, you know, it's more than the Mac nowadays. I, I didn't think the, the casing was as bad as it's been in previous years because there weren't all those, uh, you know, that really large numbers of Chinese and Taiwanese vendors who just basically <laughs> brought in everything they make and uh, were selling it, you know, from handwritten signs at, at a booth at the edge of the show. I, and years gone past that there's been hundreds and hundreds of those guys and it and it really kind of this is what i'm saying about the signal to noise ratio the stuff that was it's there true. was quality um there was very few of the i mean you always get get the odd <laughs> you always get the odd um you know back massager and and that sort of thing <laughs> who just turn up there every single trade show yeah but but in in general most of the people who were there seemed to be there because they thought they had something that was worth looking at rather than trying to overload you with piles of cheap rubbish so. There was a there was one case company there, uh, an Asian case company, and I and I took a look at it, and I have to admit, I, I walked by it the first time, and went, oh god, another another funny case, and then a friend of mine grabbed me and said, you have to come look at this thing, and then he made me look at this case. It runs on four wheels with a handle, and uh, yeah, I have a picture of it that- somewhere, but. They have people, yeah. They have people sat on them. So the it was the idea that you could sit on this thing when you were. Well, they were pull, They had the woman pull me around. On, she pulled <laughs> me around on it, right, to show me how strong it was. And she stood on it. But it, when you weren't using it, it kind of you clicked these two little things, and the case folded flat and disappeared in, in a flat little space. But when you opened it, it had all these nice compartments, and it was. I liked that it. it was on four wheels, which meant. So I was pulling a backpack with wheels. I think yeah. I tripped and I apologize if they're listening. Three people on the floor because it was so crowded that as I would walk by, people would walk behind me and trip over my rolling bag. This yeah. one you could push. Yeah. So you could see it in front of you. So I thought that was an interesting idea. The only problem with, with – I saw those as well. The only problem with that sort of thing, basically for, for the listeners who, who obviously haven't seen this, um, it was kind of the same idea as, as you might get a, an airport suitcase but shrunk down. So uh, four wheels at the bottom and you could you pull it around by lead um, and, and the thing kind of sits vertically and you can pull it around. The, the problem with that, just the same as you as you find in an air, airport with a full size suitcase like that, is if the center of gravity isn't right, if it's too high, the thing topples over on its side all the time. So I don't know if, you, if I had, you know, if I filled it full of gear and had a laptop in there and maybe a camera and everything as well. Um, and it was kind of full up of, of stuff that wasn't all at the bottom then I'd, I'd be worried about it toppling over and obviously then um, kind of damaging the stuff that's inside. So, Although it didn't. I it, must admit, she had hers there. And it did, had, she have it, like, did she have it loaded it's like from I have some pictures coming. I have some pictures coming up tomorrow yeah. on the website. So, okay. Well, not tomorrow. For When does this podcast go? I'm going to put them up Thursday this week. I'm not sure when this yeah, podcast Yeah, this, this will go live Thursday evening. So. Okay, so today yeah. I should have some pictures up there. And she had her case with like three computers in it and a camera and all this stuff, and we were dragging it around trying to make that happen, and it was fairly stable. I'm not easily impressed by these things normally, but this one this one really surprised me, especially at the price. The company was T-U-T-T-O, yeah. and they called it an office on wheels, and they actually had a version for cameras and a version for computers and a version for general, and they even had a, a pet carrier, which made me laugh. Like, no one cared there, but, um, but you can open them from the side and open them from the top. I was just impressed at how easy it was to get at stuff. And normally that kind of stuff, I don't care. Yeah. I'm going to mention one more, one more product I really like. And, I, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm reviewing it now. I haven't got a chance to get at it yet. But there was a company there called, I'm rolling to find it in my pictures, CarMD, I think was their name. And yeah. it's, it's an interesting idea that I think people didn't sort of get. But it's a little gadget that plugs into the onboard diagnostic connector of your car. So 
all cars since I think the mid early to mid nineties have had this thing called OBD onboard diagnostic connector. Yeah. When you take it to the shop, they plug a computer in there and it reads out all this information about problems your car has been storing that it doesn't really told you about. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what happens to that little check engine light that comes on or other warning lights, they eventually come on if enough problems are stored. But this gadget, you plugged it into the, into the OBD connector and they give you a guide of where it is on your car and how to get to it. You turn the car on, you wait for it to beep and the lights to go on, and then you turn the car off and you unplug it and you take it inside and you hook it to your Mac and they have this whole diagnostic software that reads out all these codes and tells you what might be wrong with your car or what needs, or what needs to be looked at or why that check engine light came on. And they, it helps you when you have to take your car to the mechanic to know exactly what was wrong with it. Yeah, very cool. You know, and it is kind of cool. And it, I don't remember the price on it, um, but, I, but I'm working on a review right now. I'll, I'll have some pictures and maybe some videos of it working. It was actually a very cool little gadget. Yeah. Um, it, it, something I thought would be fun to have hooking to your iPhone, but I like that this didn't require any interactivity. It just sort of happened, and then you do everything sitting at your desk where you don't have to worry about driving. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Well, uh, I'll look forward to seeing the review of that. Yeah, it sounded like a fun thing. Hey everyone, Tim Robertson for OWC, Otherworld Computing. You can find us at www.maxsales.com. want to take just a few brief moments to let you guys know of something really cool that OWC just launched, and it's called OWC TV. Now this is not the OWC TV installation series. This is just OWC TV. If you do a search in iTunes for OWC, you will find it. What is OWC TV? Well, we've got two videos up there as I record this uh, ad for the MyMac.com podcast. The first one is our speed test with the OWC Mercury Extreme SSD drive. The second one is a video, and I think a lot of you might be interested in this. Add a Mac Mini to your home theater system. That's right, we go video step-by-step on how to install a Mac Mini into your home entertainment system, all the software you're going to need, all the hardware you're going to need, hooking it up, configuring it, everything you need to know on adding a Mac Mini to your home entertainment system, including free software. So if you go up to, uh, you know, go to owcradio.com, and I'll have a link there, or simply do a search for OWC TV or OWC in iTunes, and you'll find it there. I'm so excited about uh, the possibility of putting a Mac Mini into my home entertainment system. I have gone and bought a Mac Mini. I'm just waiting for it to be delivered. I can't wait to do it myself. This is probably going to replace my Apple TV. It's just more convenient. I have access to a lot more content, including Hulu and anything that's in Flash on the Internet. I'll be able to watch it in my living room on a much bigger screen in uh, at least 1080i. Uh, many times you can watch in 1080p. Now, of course, not all the content will be in 1080p, but it'll still look awful good on my TV. So check it out, owcradio.com. 
Check out all of our products at www.maxsales.com and do a search for OWC in iTunes. Now let's get back to the show. I'm kind of curious about the Newton myself. You know, I own a Newton, and uh, I want to know what Owen and David's take is on it. I thought we, we'd have a brief talk about... Um, we, we, you mentioned the iPad earlier on in the conversation. I thought we'd have a brief talk about the Newton. The Newton. Um, the yeah. Newton. Now, now I, as, as people who've listened to the show for a while know, I'm, I'm fairly recent to, to the Mac platform. It's about five, six years since I came over to the Mac from the PC. Um, but uh, one of the things I did get into quite early on, I mean... I, I think some some people who, who start using Macs and start trying to learn about them, and they, you know, it's easy to pick up retro Macs on on eBay and, and see what the old systems like. Well, I kind of got a bit crazy for the Newton for a while, <laughs> uh, and um, I have to admit, this bearing in mind this was I haven't actually used one now for a couple of years, but but about three four years ago, I was impressed by how active the Newton community was at the time. You know, you could. There was no. What year was that? This was. This was. This was about two thousand three, two thousand four. Okay. Uh, two thousand five. There was an awful lot of information on the web about using Newton productively um, for all sorts of things, and and really, it kind of it stuck with me how forward thinking a device it was um, for its time. It and, was and, very forward thinking. And and it, if I, I think maybe part of its problem was uh, well, was perhaps yeah, yeah, perhaps it was it was it was a bit too far of its time, and and it did push up, I think, against some of the limitations of the of the hardware at the time. But um, really, uh, uh, you really see the spirit of the Newton not so much in the iPhone, but definitely in the iPad. Um, there's an awful. I lot think of it even there. in the iPhone that I think this was sort of a this is the precursor. I always say like the the Mac LC that I worked on when I was at Apple was sort yeah. of the precursor to the to the you know the iMac the this, the cheap and expensive one the Newton was kind of like the first vision of a what's it, John Scully I think made the comment personal digital assistant I think he coined that phrase absolutely um, um, and it was the first PDA the idea that something was in your hand as opposed to that you could hold easily as opposed to a large laptop or a desktop computer and really the first time we'd seen a device that didn't have a keyboard as standard yep. uh, and kind of really broke broke the paradigm in terms of the whole screen was a was a interface so for anybody who's who's not really you might you i'm sure most of most pick listeners will have heard of the newton but it was uh, a platform that started development in late 80s about 89 i think it was first 89 came, yep for, yeah first came to the market in 92 93 started about a thousand dollars eight hundred dollars a thousand dollars depending on the model you got and uh, was gradually refined and got better and better and better i think the first it's fair to say the first couple of models were um, barely out of, you know, they were kind of like beta tests, really. They, were, um, they weren't quite ready for prime time. And very famously, um, they were mocked by the Doonesbury cartoon. They had a... <laughs> and uh, others. <laughs> yeah, they had, was it Egg Freckles? Um, the, uh, they had, so basically... The, I forgot the, the about that. Yeah, the Newton was, a, was kind of a slab. It's about the size of um, uh, probably a, a kind of a large fool's cap notebook. Um, didn't have a keyboard, had a stylus and a large uh, grayscale screen. A metal stylus. Screen. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's the metal stylus right there. Um, and the idea was, it, in terms of the way you used it, was very different from a, it was very different from the computers of today, let alone the um, 
let alone the um, the computers of, of of the time. Well, it wasn't um, Mac like at all. Exactly, not really. But it didn't it really have PC like. It didn't really have oh. a GUI. Um, it actually looked very similar to the iPhone in that it had icons, and you clicked on the icon, and it brought up a full scale application. What it did as well is it didn't really have a filing system. Any data you saved into the applications were stored in these databases called soups that were available to all of the applications on the device. Um, Use some very that advanced. This is concerning, actually. I mean, I was always worried yeah. that data just sort of went away. And as a user, you go, where'd it go? Well, yeah, it was there absolutely. when it came back, but where was it? Um, very, for, you know, considering the uh, the laptops of a day, it had very long battery life, ran on AA or AAA batteries and would last for a couple mm. of weeks. So one of the things about the Newton was that it would retain data even when you took the batteries out. Um, and uh, you were saying that, that your, the one on your desk, uh, you opened it up and found it had some, some quite old data on there. Right. I think I was mentioning that there's a card. They came with cards. You could buy cards, these two megabyte um PCMCA-like cards designed right. for the Newton. So when you told me you wanted to talk about Newtons, I went and got these out of the drawer. Mm-hmm. And there's a button marked extras, and it shows you what's on, inside and on the card. And I was smiling that there's like Dell crossword puzzles on here and a mystery game and golf is on here and some card games. But on here I saw – well, first of all, it came up to the date of – like uh, April 1st, 1995. It's missing the backup battery. So yeah. I don't know if that was the last date it had or just remembered that. But there's an icon here that says Worldwide Developers Conference 94. So when I clicked on it, I realized this was the – it was in May of 1994, the Worldwide Developers Conference, they talked about the Newton. And all day on Tuesday, basically, they said that they were going to talk about things like AppleScript, HyperCard, AppleGuide, and the Newton. Wow, and uh, I'm just I'm just kind of glancing through the the schedule here, and it's you know it's actually kind of amusing. Tuesday Hall A one nine thirty to eleven Newton development overview, ten forty five to eleven forty five building Newton solutions, uh, and this is the one that surprised me. Um, one o'clock one thirty Newton comms wired and wireless solutions for the Newton. So I, they they must have had a wireless card. I don't remember that, but I guess they did. So even back in 94, they were talking wireless solutions. Yeah, um, I, mean, I mean, that's one of the things that as a platform, I think it was very forward-looking, quite apart from the handwriting recognition, which was uh, very much ahead of its time. And by the second second or third generation of the Newton, the, uh, the MessagePad 2000 and 2100 series, which were kind of the last gasp of the Newton before, they, before the line was cancelled. Um, there was one more, but... There yeah, was there, was, there, was the, there was the E-Mate as well. Which E-Mates, was, I'll right. talk, talk about the E-Mate in a minute because uh, that's, that's the one that's probably closest to my heart. Um, the, by the time they got to the 2000 series, the, the handwriting recognition was actually pretty good. Um, I think, too, it's funny that I think the Newton actually is the reason the iPhone has a keyboard. Yeah. I mean, even to this day, handwriting recognition r- remains a difficult problem. And, and it's funny, I... I was commenting here that sitting next to my Newton is my iPod Touch, and I laid it on top of the Newton, and the iPod Touch total size is smaller than the screen size of the Newton. Yeah, the whole yeah. thing fits within that's the right. Newton screen. But that's that's uh, but, just you know that's twenty years development. <laughs> but they but, didn't put handwriting into it because I think they realized just that how much of a problem it was to use. For those of people who use a Newton, and I used mine a lot. I mean, I carried it with me. I yeah. was typical, you know, press the envelope kind of guy. It was annoying. 
Yeah. You know, even even in the 120, which was much better than the 100, you had to write slowly. You had to wait for it. In fact, what I used to do is leave the recognition off because in later software, you could go back and recognize it later. Yeah. So you could. And just, it was easier to take notes in your handwriting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I have th- to comment one other thing. Uh, Hall one at 245 was creating electronic books with Newton. Well, that, so that how's was that for the iPad. That was actually what first brought me to the uh, to the Newton. Is is that um, this was way before the uh, e ink things and the Amazon Kindle and, and what have you. Um, is, that, is that I read somewhere that it was a great electronic book reader, and I'd had it the, wasn't bad. It I wasn't had, bad. Yeah, it had no backlight. No, that was well. The later models did. The, oh, they did. the original okay, ones owned. did, but from the from the one thirty onwards, it did have a backlight. But um, that's actually one of the first reasons I bought I I bought one on eBay was was for that because I'd had the um, the Rocket eBook, um, which was okay, but I wanted something that was a bit more um, that was a bit more multifunctional than just a dedicated reader. And and the new yeah, you, it was a pretty good reader. Um, I'm just looking. There's three or four books on here. Uh, uh, Civil disobedience. And, yeah. And socio terms. There's a couple different books that yeah. were left on here that I just looked at. The Raven, which is kind of interesting. But the comps, yeah, the comp software you could buy for it, or came with a with a book converter that allowed you to turn right. turn um, text files into books for it. Um, and it wasn't half bad actually. I mean, this is the thing. It, it really was very much ahead of its time. I think in terms of price, in terms of performance for what it was trying to do, it was extremely ambitious. That's probably one of the reasons why it didn't massively succeed. And and whatever the the political reasons and the uh, the cultural reasons that Steve Jobs had for getting rid of it in terms of the fact that it was a Scully project and Scully was the guy who asked yep. him from Apple. Um, yep. So I'm sure he had no love for anything that Scully loved. Um I'm quite sure the reason that he he canned the entire line was because basically it just wasn't making enough money for Apple. And, and, and one I, of the things I thought was funny is that um, I think the Newton led to Palm's Pilot. Okay, it so did. The, the, the yeah. Palm Pilots came out shortly after, or while the Newtons were out, and why Apple didn't turn around and shrink the form factor size? Because if it had come to buying a Palm Pilot or buying a Newton, I would have had a Newton if they were the same size. I would have bought the Newton in a heartbeat. Yeah. But when the Palm Pilots came out, I mean, I bought a Palm 5, had a Palm 2, but I bought a Palm 5 that was this little tiny device that got rid of the handwriting recognition and a little tiny on-screen keyboard kind of thing. Um, and well, it, it, was, used, it was it used, that, it used that limited recognition. You had to learn the new alphabet, oh, yeah, didn't you? Some script thing, right. That's which, which, um, which the, I mean, I think the, here again, we're talking about parallels. The uh, To me, that is kind of what, Apple probably learned from the Newton project. They did something that had all the bells and whistles in there and then were beaten to the punch by a device that was much, much cheaper um, and was much less functional than a Newton. But it was it, considerably it, less functional, but did the things that people wanted. But it did wanted. the things that people wanted. Uh, Address and, book, calendar, yeah, and, and what, uh, phone, yeah. And what the Palm Pilot had really going for it is the fact that it was super simple to synchronize it to your, to your desktop PC. Yep. yep. Whereas the Newton wasn't unfortunately i mean one of the one of the achilles heels of the newton platform was was the difficulty getting information on and off it um and you talked about wireless and even today if you get if you're into newtons you can get a wi-fi card for them you can get a bluetooth card for them but because of the um stagnation in the software development software side um it's very still very difficult to get um information to and from them and if you're setting a brand new newton up from scratch Suppose you get. Suppose you were to get a brand new out of the box Newton off eBay, you'd really have a trouble getting it set up and getting your new software onto it because 
to get information to it, you need to use serial connections, which are very difficult to do nowadays, particularly with USB. Yeah, where do you get them? USB, you have to get you a USB to get serial USB adapter. USB to guess, serial right? adapter, and then you have to try and get the software running in... Um, uh, you might have, have you done at, it? Yeah, yeah, I have actually. I, I mean, this is one of one of the problems I had to solve in trying to get get into the Newton platform was figuring this out. What I ended up doing, and this is what most people do nowadays, is they go to a group who are Newton sort of fans, and they will circulate um, linear flashcards with all the current software and drivers and patches and this sort of thing on. So you can just oh, slot that. Have to look for that. Yeah, you just slot that straight into the Newton, and then obviously copy it off. Um, and these things kind of get passed around. People mail them to each other and loan them and that sort of thing because that's the actual easiest way of doing it rather than trying to connect via a, a computer. Um, and it, and it, that is a real problem. There is a bug in the Newton OS, um, the kind of a, like a, a Y2K-style bug that hit this year in 2010. And patches have been written to, to get over <laughs> it, but obviously you've got to be able to get the patch onto the Newton in the first place. Well, that's so, actually funny you mentioned that. I, when people talked about the Y2K bug, I used to joke that it wasn't going to be the Y2K. It was going to be somewhere around 2010 because that's given on Macs, given the old Macs, the number of bits that were in the clock. I think it was somewhere in 2010 where they whooped. That's, that's exactly what the problem is. You're, you're showing your uh, <laughs> Apple engineering background there, uh, Owen, by identifying that problem because that's exactly what's happened with the Newton. Um, they, the, the clock the clock register basically overflowed and, and the thing right. kind of got itself into a, into a, a state. So I had a, I, I, I've got a message pad one thirty knocking around here, but I don't use it very often. I had well, a message. That's a good question. Can I set the, Oh, can I set the date back? Can I set the date on this now? I don't even know. I haven't I, tried. I, with, with, if it's, if it's gone over, you may struggle to be honest. Yeah. I've, it came I've, up Sunday, November 19th, 1995. Right. Um, interesting okay. so um, I, yeah I had a I've got a message pad 130 I had a message pad 2100 that was fully tricked out it came the message pad 2100 came with a keyboard a separate keyboard that plugged right in um, uh, it had a word processor built in and everything it was a really nice machine I was using that actually as my main PDA for about six seven months wow um, okay and uh, you know taking notes in meetings and all sorts and this was only a couple of years ago so it was really doing the job for me. Unfortunately, it's a one, 2100, you said, right? 2100, that was the last. Because there's a lot. message pad 2000 available on eBay yeah. right now for $35. Yeah, the 2000, the 2000 was kind of like the last generation. The 2100 was the same machine, but with more memory in. Ah, okay. So, um, and, and unfortunately, I, I took it shopping one day. I had a shopping list on it, and I left it in the shopping cart when I oh. loaded, loaded my stuff in the car, got home, realized what I'd done, went rushing back, and it was gone, and I never saw it oh. again. <laughs> I was pretty gutted That's about so that. That's so sad. Really. I'm so yeah. sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah. But what I did get after that is the E-Mate, and the E-Mate 300 um, still is a fascinating machine. Um, I like that. What they did is they took the Newton platform and they put it into um, kind of like a, a child-sized laptop device. It was almost like a first netbook, if you like. Um, okay. So you had the Newton-sized screen with the touchpad and everything, but it was on a laptop-style hinge and hinged up, and there was a full keyboard underneath and a stop, slot for your stylus. had a rechargeable battery back that would give you about 24 hours of consistent use. Uh, backlight built-in, really nice keyboard. Um, it's one of the early... Um, curvy green translucent designs that kind of uh, have ended up turning into the like, like the iMac design style um and it was a really sweet machine and apparently they were selling them gangbusters in um at the education market right up until when um when Steve Jobs cancelled the entire Newton project so um and and if you're into writing and you want a cheap always on 
uh, writing device, then you can't, you, you know, the, the Newton 300 is not too bad. You can put an Ethernet card on the side, it takes a standard PC card slot. Oh, so, did they call it a Newton at the time, or did they call it the E Mate? It was, was it called, called, the, E-Mate, it was called the E-Mate 300. But, I mean, okay. the New- Newton was always the platform name. And that's the combination of hardware ah. and software. But the actual devices were called message pads or emates or that sort Did of thing. Did they allow handwriting as well? Yeah, you could handwrite recognize on it. But obviously, I never had one. I saw them, I always yeah. wanted one. The, the thing is, to write on it, you had to push the screen flat and then kind of turn it on its side. Ah. So it wasn't as easy to do because of the bulk of the device compared to. Um, compared to a, a standard message pad. But you could do it. Um, and it was great for schools because they, they had like lab field kits with sensors and stuff like that, um, special software for the, um, for the e-mate that allowed them to kind of collect data off them and, and network them and, and use a serial network and that sort of thing. So um, they were apparently really popular in schools. And as I say, yeah, if you're into a bit of writing, then you, 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 know, you want something that's, that's not a laptop, is lighter than a laptop, but um, isn't going to lose your work if you write on it, then the e-mate's not too bad at all, except for one... Uh, there's one uh, design flaw in the device if you get an old one the springs in the hinge that um, allowed you to kind of stabilize the screen when you lift it up and down over time yeah well they don't fail but they kind of work their way out underneath the screws that hold them in (laughs) and when and it's kind of like it's a steel spring with a sharp end when it goes um, it can sometimes puncture the display cable to the screen. Oh, so um, that's not good. There's a guy in Germany who's who's a big Newton guy, and you can um, he's got instructions on how you can kind of take the E-Mate apart and fix that by putting a washer in. Um, and uh, in fact, I uh, my E-Mate 300, which I had for about three years, I actually sent it to him, and he rebuilt the battery pack for me and also f- repaired the screen, um, so it wouldn't it wouldn't have that fault. And, I, and when I eventually sold the E-Mate, I got quite a lot of money for it because it had all the problems fixed you know um <laughs> but it was it was it was really great and i used to get a lot of um a lot of interesting looks when i used to use it in fact i remember the first thing i ever did for my mac i went to the um mac expo show in london which was like the uk um, version of Macworld, sure. and and i had the e-mate with me i took that with me instead of a laptop and uh, basically i wrote everything up and wrote all my notes up on the e-mate there on the show floor and i remember several people coming up to me to uh, to ask me about it and have a look at it because they'd never seen one before so um I, you a couple of people i used to go to this thing called the hackers conference so i still go but yeah and a number of people there showed up with him when they first came out and because they wanted to take notes and it was a great thing that they didn't have to carry a charger and they didn't it just took notes and i think it had software didn't it to sync to a mac yeah to move the notes over if i remember had, yeah you had the similar sort of problems you had with the other emails with the other message pads in terms of of getting an interface going in fact what i ended up doing is i got a um it, it would run very nice with a, a, a 3Com 3C509 Ethernet card. So basically I, I stuck that in the side and then hooked it up to my network and swapped uh, data back and forth to my Mac that way. Um, and that was fine. But again, you kind of had that problem. You had to get the 3Com drivers onto the eMate to make that work. And if you didn't have a way of getting data on or off it beforehand, then you were kind of stuck. So I had one of those linear flash cars with all the drivers on that I used to use to sort that out. That was actually What's a, interesting. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that was actually a problem with the with the whole of the message pad line. Um, it, I suppose it goes back to the way Apple used to do things with OS 9 and, and, and earlier. A lot of these extra functions you had to put on with extensions. 
Yeah. Uh, and that meant loading those on. If you ever had to reset the machine for any reason or do an upgrade to it, then obviously you had to remember all the different tools and extensions and bits and pieces you had loaded onto it to get them on back on again. Otherwise, you'd find critical bits of functionality didn't work anymore because the extension wasn't there. Yeah, extensions were an interesting interesting idea. They were small patches to the operating system that let new things work. But you're right. If your machine crashed and you didn't back it up and you had to rebuild it, it could take a long time. Yeah. I was just thinking that the I'm trying to remember the designer's name. He's the lead VP, senior VP right now. He's the guy who invent who designed that for Apple. Um what's his name? His name is just completely jumped out of my head now that we're talking. But if you look at the Emate and then you look at the first iBooks, you can see that that was where the design went to. In fact, there were there were purple, red, and orange colored Emate prototypes designed uh, that were considered that we were going to go and they thought about going to mass production if it had been successful, which would have been the colors of the original iBooks. Yeah, so I'm trying to remember the name of the guy. It's, it'll come to me like in the out of nowhere, but uh, he's the current designer. This is one of some of his early works at Apple. Yeah. So he was the guy who designed all that. So I, I, I said his name. His name. It's going to drive I'm me sure, crazy. I'm sure it'll come to you. Uh, <laughs> I, I sent, I, you know, I certainly think that a lot of the lessons that that were learnt from the Newton project have gone into the uh, the iPhone and the and what will become the iPad. I think. Um, I mean that that point we were just making about being able to restore the machine back to the way you expect it to be after a crash or a, a rebuild. I mean, obviously, that's something that the iPhone does very very well. If you if you break oh. your iPhone. Um, just plug it into iTunes and immediately it's, it's back. The new device is set up the way the old one was. So I think there's an awful lot of learning that's gone into um, that's gone into the iPhone platform that that came from the Newton team. Uh, and I think um, the it's success- a very cool gadget. I, yeah. I I love it. I'm now that I'm sitting here playing with them again. I'm sorry. I'm sitting here poking on them. So if you hear the sound in the background, I've stopped that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I forgot just how much fun they were and how useful they could be. They are fun. What I would warn any, anybody who's kind of, after listening to us enthused about this for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, they think, oh, well, I'll pick one up and have a go. You will end up, if you're not careful, you can end up spending an awful lot of time, an awful lot of money trying to solve problems that today's machines just don't even think about solving. So uh, you can pick up the base hardware fairly cheaply, particularly the older models. The MessagePad 2000 and 2100 series tend to go for a little bit more. Um, you'll see them at low starting prices on eBay, but you know you could be looking at $100 There's upwards. There's one for $10 right now, the yeah. starting price with one day left. But but uh, when they when they finish, they'll be a you know you know what eBay's like nowadays. It's a whole rush of snipe bids at the end of the auction, and the price goes up. Um, and a lot of the extra accessories and things you'll need to make the best of it, you know, they cost money. Um, disappointingly, as well, a lot of those resources that I used a few years ago to kind of get me up to speed on the platform uh, kind of seem to be falling away. I did a quick trawl this afternoon and went back to a few of them. And there's an awful lot of websites that are down or under maintenance or uh, seem to have disappeared. So it could be that, you know, despite a fairly active community, the, uh, the Newton community is kind of, kind of losing interest now. Um, and you or, can't find them on, and you can't find them on the Wayback Machine because they don't store the files, just the text. So even yeah, that won't help you. That, yeah. That's right. Well, there, there is a, there is an somewhere there is an archive of all sorts of Newton software, but the problem is you really need some um, wikis and 
uh, frequency ask, frequently asked questions guys so kind of help you navigate through those because like 15 years worth of software has been developed for the thing um and you need to kind of have an idea about what you need and what you don't need so i'm gonna have um, to call you and ask you how to get some more software in mind i've never even thought about trying to do anything with them I, they just sort of sit in a drawer here and i play with them occasionally so maybe i should try to st- of course, that'll probably be costly, won't it? <laughs> uh, well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, if you've got time and you, and you want it, you want to do a retro project. So I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and I know some people have done some amazing things with us. Certainly, when I was using mine in earnest, there was a guy who was running a whole website off his. Um, he had it plugged into a network, and he was running. He was basically using it as a web server. So that kind of is, is shows you how capable these machines were. So um, yeah, very but interesting. Just, just to your point, I just. While you were doing that, I said, let's look at completed listings on eBay for here's an Apple Newton 2100 and an eMate charger, just for 20 bucks for the charger. But a 2100 with a flash, wireless, and battery was $325. Yeah. That's what which it was. Which is a lot of the way to an iPad. Um, yeah. So you've got, yeah, be, I, you've got to be kind of really, really keen on your retro gadgets. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I know a lot of people love to collect uh, retro Mac gear. Um, and certainly you can get a very nice collection going if you if you really want to go to the Newton. And, you know, it is a, it is really a piece of history, as much of a piece of history, I think, nowadays with the iPhone and the iPad coming along as, as the early Macs are. So uh, definitely worth having a look. And uh, they, I do know there used to be a book that kind of talks about the Newton development. I've not seen it on the, um, on the Internet for a while, but uh, something like that would be fun. Very good. Well, that's yeah. that's fun. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. you jogging my memory on this because I had completely forgotten all about this thing. So. so so here's an idea for a project. I'll put this out for anybody who wants to develop it. I think when the iPad does launch, it would be very cool, and I would certainly pay for a Newton emulator that ran Newton on the emulator. iPad. That would be uh, very, very interesting. Um, there, used to be, um, there used to be one in the development kit. Um, I've not seen... I've not seen anything apart from that. Oh, it's so. some Pure Mac says they have an Einstein emulator, which is a Newton N2 platform emulator. Right. Okay. A lot of software for Mac. I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. So there, so you made me look at that. So it's. Uh, I'll have to. I wonder if it even works. It probably. Yeah. Work. A lot. A lot of these things are kind of works in progress, and as I say, it looks like people have been losing interest over over time. So <laughs> if there's well, a, new if, new toys get old, right? Yeah. Those are the ones they 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 send their. Uh, they start looking at so if if any of our listeners do know of a of working uh, newton emulator that you can point me to then definitely uh, send me over to it because i'd i'd love to see that yeah well both well both would that would be fantastic yeah, absolutely and i will be thinking fondly of my newtons when i uh, when i uh, <laughs> acquire my ipad hopefully in the next few weeks are you have you already signed up for one uh can you uh, have they opened pre-sales I think I you can. There's a notify me that they send you a notification. Uh, they, right. uh, okay. On the at least on the U.S. website, I don't know about over there. So we checked the little box and said notify us. I think when they go up for sale, they will send you a notification that says now it's time to buy it. It's my 40th birthday in a couple of months' time. So what I've done Happy is birthday. thank you very much. Um, <laughs> what I've done is I've I've uh, I've let various significant members of my family know that um, <laughs> if they wanted to get together and get me an iPad, that would be a, a very appreciated gift. <laughs> <laughs> with or without 3g uh without 3g um I'm, okay i'm not too fussy. i'm surprised most most people are saying that but having a you know i have an ipod touch yeah. as opposed to an iphone because the iphones up until like about a month ago didn't work where i lived 
and I sort of had a hard time justifying a telephone that didn't work where I was when I was home. Yes. Um, now they've just built a new cell in my area, so now it works. So yeah, that may change at the next time I'm going to do a swap. But I must tell you, the difference between an iPod Touch and an iPhone, I, not having the always-on is significant. I feel it more often than not, surprisingly, where I'm out somewhere going, oh, I wish I had network. Uh, I can't help but wonder if the iPad will have the same feeling or it will be mostly a non-connected device where you occasionally want it connected. I, I think a different I, user group. I think I would want mine connected most of the time. The difference for me is that here in the UK, the 3G coverage is actually fairly strong. But okay. cer- certainly in the cities, and I tend that's where I tend to work most of the time. Um, I already have two or three different 3G dongle accounts with different providers. So uh-huh. uh, I, what I'm planning to do is is, is invest in a MiFi and uh, capitalize on those rather than have a separate extra data plan. Now, the so, MiFi is the gadget that lets you take a USB dongle Wi-Fi device and then make – I mean a 3G device and make a local Wi-Fi network, correct? Basically, it takes a 3G SIM. It takes the SIM out okay. of the dongle and then and then uses that and gives you a local Wi-Fi bubble. So cool. um, that's to, – to me, for my particular use case, that kind of makes sense. Um, I can understand people who don't have access to that sort of thing or aren't paying for those accounts would be more interested in the 3G model. The other thing for me is that here in, here in the UK, they've not announced how the 3G is going to be priced yet. And I don't know whether we'll get as an attractive pay-as-you-go plan kind of like you're, you're going to have in the States. It is attractive and it's not. I must admit, it's as long as we're going to take cheap shots at AT&T here, um, I'm kind of bothered by the fact that if I already have an iPhone, I don't, but some people do, and I'm already paying... $30 a month mandatory in the U.S. for n- d- data. And I also have my $50 DSL AT&T plan. So now they're getting $80 roughly for me that they don't discount the, the iPads networking. I mean, if I have an iPhone with 3G in it, I'm probably not going to be using them both at the same time most of the yeah. time. Yeah. And it seems to me that they should have offered. I mean, if if AT and T was smart about this, since it's a it's on, a, they would do it as a contract, but offer you know a ten dollar upgrade to your iPhone plan that covers the three the uh, iPad three G. People would buy that in droves because it's only ten dollars yeah. more. But when you're going to tell me I have to pay another thirty dollars to have another device, and granted, it's on a month by month basis, but. You know, you know, it won't take long before they start charging five and ten dollars to turn it on and off because people are going to be switching it on and off all the time, and they're yeah. going to get very tired of that. I, I just think it's the wrong. AT and T took the wrong tact on this, especially since they're not discounting the hardware at all. Well, I suspect they took the tact that says, "Well, this is going to be another hot device, and we can get another data plan contract out of people." <laughs> so, um, I, I think that's that's kind of their attitude. I have to say, credit to Apple for actually making a device with and without 3G available at the same time. Yes, yes, um, I, I think that was a very smart move because I think they appreciate there's an awful lot of people in exactly that situation who are going to say, um, you know what, this isn't too funny anymore. I suppose you could always, I don't know if you if you, if you you have the tethering turned on, on uh, well, the AT&T still haven't managed to deliver tethering yet, have they? No, it, you can't tether in the US, unfortunately. Assuming, yeah, could you do that? Right? Assuming they fix that, whether you could run an app on the iPhone that then would allow you to use Wi-Fi to connect through to the um, 3G. Or Bluetooth. Or Bluetooth, or blu- right? or Bluetooth, yeah, that will work right. as well. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me they should have a Bluetooth connection on it. I, no, they don't do that yet, and only that's why some people were jailbreaking here, so they could tether 
Yeah. Uh, it's kind of sad that you can't do that, but I understand, given AT&T's network usage, why they don't want you running your laptop on the network, at least not for paying for it. And I don't know what they charge for their little their little dongle card that plugs in the USB port. I think that's another like forty five dollars a month, or maybe even sixty five dollars. Absolutely. Month. Uh, I mean, there's no there's no getting away from it. All these different dice plans ends up racking up quite a lot of money. So. Um, <laughs> Very that's, fast. That's yeah. unfortunate. That's an unfortunate thing. I mean, even even last week in at MacWorld, Tim found that you know he had obviously he's got an AT and T iPhone. He assumed that he could use the AT and T hotspot in the hotel, and um, it wouldn't let him on. And he called AT and T, and they said, "Oh no, like, you don't have the right. You need to have DSL at home with AT and T to get free access to the Wi Fi hotspot." Yeah. So when um, he told me that, I logged him on to my AT and T account at the hotel. <gasps> don't so say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> so while I was sitting there, he was using AT and T under my account. So. Because right. well, <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I paid AT and T. It was a high white spot. I wasn't using it, yeah, so I'm I logged sure, him on. You know, I'm so. sure. I'm sure the uh, the data. I'll get a bit. I'll get a bit. Police will be coming <laughs> for you now. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it kind of bothered me the same thing. He, it, it's, they told him what, what was worse about that is they told him when he signed up that he would have access to Wi-Fi hotspot. Yeah. They said yeah. that. Well, and, they didn't, and then it was like, say oh, we didn't which Wi-Fi hotspot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's one in there's one in Kentucky and there's one in Florida. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Saw, I was wondering about that. I was like, which ones? Is that, that's, isn't that's that the old a, joke? You name it, we've got it. You just well, have exactly. It. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like when you run up against the uh, the the limited data cap on your un, unlimited data plan. It's exactly the same sort of deal, isn't it? Well, you know, that, that's a Comcast problem in in the U.S. I was one of the many people that got the the nasty phone call from Comcast that I was using too much bandwidth. Uh, they wouldn't tell me what too much was. They wouldn't tell me how much I used, just that I used too much. Now, I was streaming HD videos and doing all sorts of stuff. I, and I was, I was also downloading Microsoft, because um, I'm a, a Microsoft developer as well as an Apple guy. Yeah. Um, the, they, when, when they come up with their new releases, they put all their DVDs online. So you download these four and eight gigabyte um, images of the new releases of Microsoft Developer Network. So I was probably using 100 plus gigabytes a month. Mm-hmm. And they got very upset with it. Uh, and now I laugh because they, they haven't changed that, but I just got a thing in the mail from Comcast that they're coming out with something new they call Xtreme or some kind of name like that, where they're going to offer 100 megabits per second to the home. Okay, yeah. blindingly fast. But does that mean like I use up my cap in, in about an hour? <laughs> well, imagine so, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, 100, it's 100 megabits per second, but you only get 100 megabytes of data a month. You can only so, use it for five minutes. You get five seconds of data and then that's <laughs> it. You, you're done. It just, so that, it just, yeah, eight seconds. It just made me laugh that, that it's going to even be faster, but you know, you still can't use it for very long. That's right. So, yeah, uh, yeah it, the, the whole data thing is, is ugly and it's going to change a lot because um, – on a separate note, we can discuss another time. Television is moving to a streaming over the internet model. Yeah, broadcast TV is going away. There was an article in the New York Times today about uh, uh, television on your mobile devices and how you'll get that. And all of those things are going to be an incredible strain on the network. Once the yeah. internet backbone starts having to deal with with everybody watching television over the internet, it's just not going to survive. Um, and you know what's going to happen. If, if it goes that way, Comcast isn't going to be selling you cable TV, so you know where they're going to be making up their money. Yeah, they're going to absolutely. make up their money in data plans. So expect yeah. the price to go up. Um, it's it's going to be it's, – it's, I mean, we're, we're entering these, these kind of new markets, and it's always difficult when you're in new markets. I mean, look at the – 
Look at the Apple device. Look at the iPhone. The iPhone was expensive when it first came out, and then it came down. The pricing right. model changed. Um, and if you're on the very bleeding edge, then sometimes you can get caught by that. Um, and, that and it does catch people. I don't know how you guys are in the UK, in San Francisco and New York and Los Angeles and some of the big market areas. Um, one of the other reasons I don't own an iPhone at the moment, in this area where I live, the saturation of iPhones is very high. And you'll just be, my business partner has one, and I'll just be talking on his phone and it'll disconnect because it runs out of network. Yeah. And it happens a lot. And it's, it makes AT&T look very unreliable. But you tell that to someone who lives you know, in a small community and they go, well, I never have those problems. Yeah. It's just that it became so popular so fast and people are using it for so many things that the network just can't keep up. And so you'll see price increases because these companies are going to have to build bigger networks to support it. On the other hand, I'm willing to pay more if the reliability goes up. So yeah, to um, a, to a to a degree. To a degree. I mean, as I say, you, if you're paying for reliable, un, unlimited service, and then you're not actually getting that, then it kind of gets a bit wearing. Yeah, what's I, the AT&T ad where the map falls apart? Over that's the, right. Yeah. <laughs> talk about the yeah. <laughs> the Verizon map falls apart. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, we'll see how things go. It's going to be yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, Owen, thanks very much for uh, giving me some of your time to talk. It's been very interesting to talk to you and get your perspective on these things. It was a pleasure, David. I'm happy to jump in anytime you need. Uh, anytime guys' shoes end up empty. <laughs> well, I, I think next time maybe we'll we'll get all three of us together and we'll see what kind of conversation we can get fun. going. So that was the fantastic Owen Rubin there. Um, really a great guy. And, uh, and if you've ever got a chance to go to the MyMac.com website and read his biography um, under the profile section, you'll find he, he's really been around. He's really done everything. He used to work for Atari. He's also worked for Apple. Uh, and really had an interesting history in the computing space. Um, I neglected while I was talking to Owen to uh, find out details about where you can find out more about him. You can go to his website, which is www.orubin.com. And his email address at mymac.com is orubin at mymac.com. And I'll, of course, I'll make sure I'll put those details in the show notes for the show. One other thing that I wanted to mention before I sign off is that we are looking for new writers uh, at mymac.com. So if you've ever had the interest of going and writing about technology, writing about the Apple space or the Macintosh or iPhone, whatever really takes your fancy and you're looking for somewhere where you might be able to get that content published, by all means, drop us an email, uh, feedback at mymac.com and uh, kind of get into a conversation with us and we'll see what we can sort out. That's how I started the site and that's how many of the other staff did as well. Any other general comments about the show or the coverage or anything else we do, the same address, feedback at mymac.com. We look forward to hearing from you and we look forward to having you join us again next week. And thank you for listening to the MyMac.com podcast. Please send off feedback to podcast at MyMac.com. Be sure to check out our other shows, including Geekiest Show Ever, My Photo Tech Podcast, Your Own Victory Garden, and Sam's Cool Picks. All available in iTunes. <laughs> <laughs>